Hi, and welcome to the Methods Podcast. My name is Mike Raphael, Private Sector Lead, and today I'm joined by Jadine Adiramu, Senior UX Designer, and Trudy Bihari, Head of ServiceNow. We're here to discuss and celebrate Black History Month. This podcast was recorded on the 21st of September, 2021. Hello. Guys, guys thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you both. Um, I'd like to kick off quickly. Um, as, a, as, a, as a black guy myself, I, I feel I should know a little bit more about black history. Um, and I'd like, I'd like to know why you believe Black History Month is necessary. Uh, Jadine, your thoughts? I think that it's necessary in the context of history because it's something that's been erased almost. So a lot of achievements and black history isn't something that's taught in schools. I remember growing up that it was always focused on slavery or the civil rights movement, but nothing was taught on what happened prior to that time, what achievements were made and what was happening before that. And I think it's important to have an allocated amount of time to reflect and go over that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And Trudy, what, what are your thoughts? Yes, yeah, similar to Jadine, really. I think there is a hell of a lot that's gone on in black history. Uh, we tend to focus on some of the uh, the main elements, the, the history of slavery, the abolition of slavery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but history is a living, thriving, moving thing being made every day. Um, and and we, we do need uh, that focus to remind ourselves that that history is being created every day, that there is uh, far history that we can look look back on uh, as as all as all uh, races do, uh, and and the history that's being created every day that that will inspire us and inspire our children. Yeah, and no, I I couldn't agree more. And when you when you consider people from African and Caribbean backgrounds um, who've been a fundamental part of British history for centuries, um, there are people that believe their value and contribution to society is is often overlooked, ignored or, or distorted. And when you look at um, schools, and you mentioned this earlier, um, I like to see history, uh, black history, uh, on the curriculum. Um, and because right now, you, I, I know for me, when I was at school, um, it focused traditionally on the achievements of white figures. And at least Black History Month gives everyone the opportunity to share, celebrate and understand the impact of black heritage and culture. And, and, just, on, and just on that point, I think uh, that's quite an important uh, point. I think we have uh, been far too dependent on um, uh, teachers and educators of colour being within yeah. the uh, school environment to encourage that. And what we need is we need it to be natural encouragement that the teaching and the curriculum reflects the society in which those children are living in. Yeah, irrespective of whether there is a particular main presence of black teachers in that school, it needs to be natural in the same way that they may cover different races and nationalities, black. Um, black history um, and black presence needs to be acknowledged and um, educated to our children. Yeah, absolutely. 
so so for you guys how 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 i mean people celebrate black history uh in different ways how how is how do you guys celebrate black history um back in my hometown my dad had always let me know about events that were running at the community center so um we had like an afro-caribbean community center that did like they had different artists come into town um and they put on like a showcase night so you'd have i think the whole community got involved because i like grew up in a small town so community was always really strong like if you saw another black person in the street you'd always do the nod just it's <laughs> definitely <laughs> and i love it um and yeah so at the community center they would put on showcase events they'd bring in different artists you'd have poets i really loved um the independent theater that was put on so there was a woman called angie smith who did plays in patois and it, she kind of intersected like british life with like caribbean life and how that blended and it was just really lovely to see because the story she told could be like stories of like people that you feel that you knew and I think that was a really nice celebration of Black History Month. I really always looked forward to those like showcase events. That's amazing. What 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 are your what are your um, past um, views on the on this, Trudy, as well? Um, well, I I was brought up in in London, uh, but I was very much a, a nose in a book girl. Um, so I think a lot of the things that used to go on in London sort of passed me by. Um, um my married life and obviously bringing up my children I, I brought them up in a, a a fairly small town in Northamptonshire uh but even there that is really where I started to acknowledge and take part in black history uh, activities so like Jadine mentioned we too have a local Afro-Caribbean centre uh and they have a Saturday school for children so there, there were events that they would put on that would encourage the children to get involved drumming and so on and learning about their history and their parents history uh, and then they would have things that were more geared for the adults uh, speakers coming in poets uh, and things like that which I, I I I really did enjoy and I used to take part helping with the children uh, when, when they when they needed extra hands so yeah it was very community-based uh, sharing experiences um, you know it's absolutely fantastic um, you when you've got an audience of people you've got a speaker that says something and everybody says oh yeah I did that oh my god yeah that's my parents yeah that's that I, I recall that that means something that resonates to me yeah. and I think that is the joy and the beauty of having a Black History Month. It's that shared knowledge, that shared background, shared history that we can all say, yeah, I know that, I know yeah. that. I, yeah, that's where I've been, that's where I've come from, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, um, our family get together uh, quite a lot and we discuss what it was like growing up as children. Um, our parties were so different as well. Um, we used to invite so many people. I mean, for us, we, I don't know if it works uh, the same for you, but when we got, when we first got our, our house, it was like a, a five bedroom house. And um, for some reason, Caribbean people have a kind of living room and they have another living room where they put all the ornaments. <laughs> no one's allowed in there. You're not allowed. Don't go in there. <laughs> it's the strangest thing. Hang on, you've got a room. And, you know, everything's in there. My mum used to clutter it with ornaments, honestly. 
Because it's awesome, isn't it? With like the dishes and pots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the strangest thing. I'll never understand that. And, and anyway, when it comes to parties and stuff, again, you know, that room had to be kept shut. No one was allowed in there. And for some reason, you know, if I came home from school really early and my parents weren't at home, I'd sneak in there and I wouldn't even touch anything. But for some reason, they knew I was, <laughs> I was they knew I was in there. The strangest thing. Yeah, anyway. But I, I think it was, it was, yeah, for me, celebration is thinking back to what it was like growing up um, together with my family. I come from a, quite a big family, three sisters, two brothers. Um, and how we all, you know, worked so hard together and sometimes didn't even acknowledge um, that, you know, we were growing up in hard, through hard times. Um, sometimes when you're a child, child, you just, what you do is you just go with the flow. Um, and sometimes you don't even think about stuff like that. It's only when you get older, you realize um, the stuff that you had to go through. Mm -hmm. um and it and it is a little bit of a shame we certainly i certainly wasn't i i didn't get brought up in a, in, a, in a privileged um house um and things were really difficult for us and my my dad worked really hard he was a chauffeur didn't have a great education but he was a good man and managed to find himself a very good job as a chauffeur working for Dr. David Owen at the time, who was leader of, of the SDP party. And um, he worked there for 35 years. And I just remember, you know, he was being, he was very strict, uh, wanted to make sure that we would never get into trouble. And unfortunately we did. Um, yeah, and, and I, I wanna share a story, story with you actually. I'm not proud of it, but it's an interesting one. And uh, at the time, do you, do you remember the time of the Yorkshire Ripper? Okay, well, this, yeah. this Yorkshire Ripper sent, sent a tape to the police uh, and it obviously was a fake tape, so it wasn't him actually, it turns out. And uh, me and my brother, we were only sort of uh, 10 and 11 at the time. And we make, made a hoax call to the police um, <laughs> And they took it as a, as a bomb hoax. And anyway, we, we had no idea that the call was being recorded and uh, put the phone down. Five minutes later, the doorbell rang and oh my goodness, the amount of policemen at the door, it was insane. My dad went crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, he refused to, to, to cause we obviously were taken into to prison, uh, to, to the police cells. We were not charged lucky enough because they saw us as, as young kids just messing around on the phone but he never forgave us for that we were never allowed out for, for at least a year um we brought shame to the family but i just remember at those times um how difficult it, and, and I, I can see where he was coming from the fact that you know it was hard enough for black people to 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 get on in society at the time um, and for me, for the children to, for both me and my brother to do that to him was, was, uh, was a little bit of a shame on him and, and the family. Anyway, moving on. So like, okay, so when you look at uh, black history, do you think it's taught, and we mentioned earlier, do you think it's taught enough uh, 
in schools and should there be a campaign to have it taught as as part of the curriculum definitely um i think i always remember and i think as i got older i understood why i never liked history in school i think i found it very exclusive like you didn't yeah. feel included in that history lesson and history is inclusive like those things going on around the world for thousands of years like it's just the way that it's been um taught and how the main focus that's on it just it doesn't include a lot of people and then when you do shine a light on black history i really struggled with it because it was either slavery or what yeah. was going on in america and uk at the time so like the um the political marches that they had so i really struggled yeah. with that framing of history um, and I kind of wanted nothing to do with it. But I think going forward, like we do need to address it and we do need to teach it better. And I mean, I'm wondering what the future of Black History Month will look like in like years and years to come. Yeah. Or would we still need it? Would we have made progress and made history inclusive for everybody? I'm just not, not sure how it looks like. But I think having it is definitely important for the time we're in right now. I agree. Trudy, what are your thoughts on that? So I've actually got a very close link uh, with education uh, in my area. I'm actually uh, the chairman of school governors uh, for my local primary school. Uh, obviously, part of our remit is to uh, scrutinise, uh, monitor and encourage the improvement of curriculum. Um, uh, Addressing diversity and inclusion is, is part of that, which, which obviously um, crosses a number of areas, including race. Uh, but it's definitely something we're looking at, even simple things like the reading material, what is in the library. You know, there isn't a, uh, a single black sort of, sort of children's storybook, you know, I mean, if you talk to your parents, they'll probably tell you about things like the Anansi stories and, and things like that. But they're like, no, no books. There's nothing on that, you know, West Indian and African folk tales and things like that. But hey, don't we all know the story of Sleeping Beauty? Because we've all had, you know, access to those sorts of fairy tales and, and children's books. So, so th these are things that we're looking at. I think the thing that we need to be careful of, and I'm using the word careful, very carefully, if that doesn't sound like too much alliteration, but we don't want black history to be thrust down anyone's throat. We want them to accept the fact that black history is as meaningful as Chinese or English or American history, and that it just gets blended into the curriculum and becomes a learning point for our children rather than a, right, today we're going to learn about black history. You know, it's, it's not like that. We will actually want to make that inclusion of black history organic natural so that our children expect it and that they're not oh we're going to do this today um so that that's one of the things that i'm looking certainly to encourage uh within my school uh we have an opportunity to review the curriculum very regularly and the curriculum obviously the key is the learning of the children if our children are not learning uh widely enough then our schools are not doing their job yeah, absolutely. There's a guy called George the Poet on, he was on New, Newsnight. Yeah. And he basically suggested that um, the, the biggest issue was um, sort of the lack of education about bl black history mm -hmm. and the British Empire 
played a, re a really big part in racism in the UK and our discussions about it. Yes, I agree. I was just like piecing together because um, there's a lot, a lot in that. I think education is important because people, once people know better, like they know the whole context of things. I think we behave better as well, if that makes sense, because I think I'm sure racism is learned. People don't grow up being so anti someone. I just don't think it's in our nature. I think it's definitely something that is learned and picked up. Um, yeah, I think I really struggle with it, trying to um, phrase that. But I agree that education would help people to do better and treat people better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and uh, before I go into you, Trudy, and one of the reasons why I say this is because when you look at uh, Black Lives Matter, that movement, mm -hmm. how many quotes have you have you seen where it says all lives matter? Yeah, I, this is what I'm trying to bring up. And, and they don't truly understand what that movement uh, are saying. They're not saying that all lives don't matter at all. But this is the thing, if, if if people are educated more, then I think that the issues that we have surrounding uh, Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, mm -hmm. um, wouldn't be happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, because they'd understand why people are doing it. Absolutely. Behind it, yeah. And they wouldn't yeah. get defensive. If it doesn't sound um, too sort of um, critical of the All Lives Matter uh, initiative or concept, it's almost as if they want to, or there's an attempt to turn it into something that is more palatable and acceptable to them, that they can they can latch onto and say, oh yes, I do agree with that. But to acknowledge that there is black mistreatment uh, and that black people do get a raw deal potentially in some areas, that is less easy for them to digest. So yeah. all lives matter. Yeah, I can latch onto that. I agree with that. Yeah, but black lives matter specifically. That's a difficult one for them to accept because there's also the acceptance that black people therefore have been mistreated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jadine, growing, growing up, I mean, we, we, we spent a little time talking about um, what life was like um, growing up. In your neighborhood so moving on to the position you were in now what was that journey like for you so growing up i grew up in west yorkshire and at the time it's not very diverse however i didn't really come across many issues it, it was very apparent that there wasn't many black people growing up in my area and my parents have always told me stories about how it was significantly harder for them like coming to country afresh um blending in the kind of racism that was around at the time. Um, I think I was quite fortunate that I didn't come across much of that growing up. Um, and this is where it ties into like, it's what you learn. I'm sure that racism is something that is taught and learned because kids growing up, they're just not like that. They get on with everyone. So growing up was fine, not as diverse. Then I moved to Leicester. And I think partially what drew me here was just how diverse it was there was people from all places it was in the midlands it was easy to get everywhere and i think like that's where i made like my first group of like like black friends that i had at uni because when you come from a small town it's like 
people with different interests and you're not guaranteed to get on with everyone yes you'll have like mutual foundations but to make like friend friends we're on like the same graphics course and it was just really great and just and I just loved it <laughs> did you find uh, yourself sticking with sorry to interrupt did you find yourself sticking with sort of like um most of the the, the black um uh, people within your university or did you feel like you you could mix quite happily definitely felt I could mix quite happily I think what I was embracing was that they had um things like the African African and Caribbean society so I was around more conversations more cultural conversations that I enjoyed but I enjoyed like blending with everyone there was no like drawn to one group more than the other but the fact that I now had opportunities to mix with more people who were like me I embraced and I was like woohoo this is this is yeah because there's there's just things you can talk about like you'll have loads of commonalities with like hair finding like a hair shop like spices or the debate in uni was do you wash your meat I mean I don't eat meat now but it was just such a debate some people like don't wash their chicken with like a lemon and water (laughs) to season overnight it was just lovely funny like conversations like that that you could have in that diverse group of people and like we just learned a lot about each other yeah, no, uh, it, it's true how we 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 um, do things so differently. For me, my pack lunches going to school was rice and peas and chicken within that pack lunch. And I, I remember opening it and my mate had like these egg sandwiches. <laughs> it was so soggy. Um, and everyone wanted to have my food. And it's like, did your mum prepare that? But no, it wasn't the case of my mum prepared it for my pack lunch. It's what we had the night before. And it was just put into that, which was which was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, things are so different. And watching um, adverts on TV, you hardly had any black people on adverts on TV. Things have changed so much now. But even like those TV adverts where you where you watch families together sitting in the dining room eating their food, it was like five pieces of like. Uh, fish fingers or and and a couple of chips and peas and it was like is that what they was is that what they eat I'm like that's horrible I honestly believe that's what life was like such a disparity between you know what our food was like and what their food was like and it's only recently and I and I say this quite openly um that they've come in, like white people really started to embrace like you know really good tastes and and um and spices stuff that they couldn't do before um, because it wasn't 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 ready readily available and it's only become available because of the sort of diverse cultures that we find ourselves in now it's not just blacks it's you know people of all colors mm. um you go into market now and you can find any spice that you want to find that wasn't available for us sort of like 15 20 years ago not at all and i think i like i embrace that all the time and, and I think that's probably why I think there's a sense of a, a better community now than than it has been. I always believed it was them and us before, and I, I'm quite open to say this, but I don't have that feeling now. Not really. Um, Trudy, I don't know what you think. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, uh, where Jadine was brought up in a, a, a quiet area. I was brought up in the East End of London. I was born and brought up in the East End of London. 
it where where we actually lived was very quiet uh, so it was very very conducive to calm and the peace uh, that you would normally get you know in the hustle and bustle of your school environment um uh, like jadine i was aware of um the, the 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 racism and some of the attitudes that were prevalent in in that area uh it's it's cockney land where where i was brought up so you know we we were fully aware of that uh but again i was fortunate not to have faced that um and i i do attribute that to the strictness that that of, of my upbringing uh, we weren't allowed to just open the door and disappear and where you go in it was home to school school to home uh on saturday saturday school at church and on sunday church to home yeah that was it yeah uh it's only as we got older obviously you know we were young people we were allowed to to mix i had i had a very uh, mixed range of friends uh from asian to to indian uh african uh, west indian mostly west indian the school that I attended, I would say, was probably bordering on 70% Afro-Caribbean or definitely non-white. Uh, so, so that was the environment. And the expectation was pretty much that the black people would leave at 15. Yeah, you'd leave at 15. Here's your stamp, sign your book, off you go. Uh, and that did happen with a lot of my peers. A lot of, of my friends disappeared at 15, 16 with very few qualifications, et cetera. So I, I think I, earlier I mentioned about history being close, history being around us and history being made all the time. And for my children, I am history. <laughs> yeah. So, so they'll say, mum, what was it like when you were at school? And I can sort of name some firsts. My parents were one of the, the first to come to this country in the late fifties uh, and settle themselves along with other parents, but. To us, it was a first. They they crossed the Atlantic and they came here. Uh, my my schooling, I was only one of six black people in our sixth form. Yeah, when you think of a full sixth form year of potentially a couple hundred, there were six black uh, individuals uh, going on to do A levels. I was actually the first in my family to attend university. Yeah, um, and. It's that history and that upbringing that I'm sharing with my children now. When their children, all they care about is what is the next toy you're going to buy for them. But as they've grown older, we've actually had them coming back. They want to know about my history, my parents. Obviously, they know their nan and granddad. Um, my my husband's parents, unfortunately, are no longer with us, so they never got to 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 meet them. But they'll sit down, my son, I remember him sitting down just a couple of years ago, and my son's a 26-year-old strapping six-footer and said, with his, a bit like a, a reporter with his notepad, Dad, so tell me about your life. And he meant it. Uh, and we've since taken the children back to both Dominica, where my parents are from, French-speaking island, uh, and Grenada, very close to, to Trinidad, uh, and, and shown them where our family were from where they they grew up and to me that is all the inspiration i need to be proud of myself as a black person uh growing up in this country first generation black british uh, and my children acknowledging their background acknowledging their history and being proud of it yeah that's wonderful um and both of you are 
absolute professionals and 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 great at what you do. Um, Jadine, um, the role you play now at Methods is it something that you had always planned to do, um, or did someone, did something, or someone take you on that route? Um, yes and no. So. I think when I was younger, I always wanted to be a creative. I wanted to be a, like an artist, like a fine artist. And I wanted to go to like art college. My parents were like, no, 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 no. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Just stick with your A-levels and then go off and do with what you want. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because I ended up studying French and going abroad for a year. And then I found out about graphic design, which eventually led me towards the path of UX design. And I was, um, I felt like a well-rounded person for it. And um, my dad was also really supportive because he he's like a hobbyist. He loves doing photography and videography and he had Photoshop. So I'd always want to like get on his computer and like try and do editing and all this other stuff. And somehow I got viruses on his computer downloading free music. But it was the perseverance and the support I had from my parents that just always helped me take different steps in my journey, even if it came to like going to university interviews my dad would drive me all up and down the country my mum would make sure I've got all things organized or like the space at home to study because creative courses take up a lot of space when you're doing your like um all of your project work but um I'm thankful for the support I had from them to get to where I am now and the openness that I wasn't like pushed down a path of you know there's some there's certain courses that are more well respected I say respected, maybe like expected for you to take like doctor, a teacher, a lawyer. Those are like considered quite prestige. But um, I'm glad that I had the support to do what I was interested in throughout. There was no pressures placed on me to do that. Um, my husband's Nigerian and I'm Jamaican, like background origin. And I find that when we swap stories, there is like more of a pressure Um in Nigerian culture to go for those prestige courses still today so yeah it's a good point you make actually and, and truly you you had service now team um is that um, I don't even know what in, that involves actually um, <laughs> um but is it I'll is, give you a lesson offline <laughs> that would be quite nice actually is it is that something that you always believe you were going to end up doing um I don't think so I, I think um I, I took a bit of a, a career direction change um shortly after I um, finished at university so I actually went to university uh, and did a degree in English and French uh, and had already signed up to the what used to be called uh, the Royal Society of Journalists uh, I wanted to be a newspaper journalist, and I know there are different forms of journalism, but I wanted to be a newspaper journalist, uh, or felt I always had a flair for writing, uh, and and thought, yeah, journalism is what, what I want to do. Uh, I got my degree in English and French uh, and left. Uh, me and my friend then uh, promptly decided we were going to just make some quick money uh, and go off to Spain and enjoy ourselves, because we hadn't had that opportunity. We, there was, I don't think there was the concept of the gap year back then. It was, uh, you finished your A-levels and you went to uni. Um, maybe it was, but we, we we certainly didn't do that. So we felt that we deserved that break. 
uh, and I got a three week opportunity um, working with my first company, uh, British Telecom, working. Uh, I mean, it was literally bottom of the rung, a short term clerical assistant. Yeah, with with BT. Uh, but as soon as I started working with them, it was actually working in their IT department. Uh, well, what would have been their IT department? Um, sort of working on um, timeshare space on some of their um, IBM servers. And I just got interested in the sort of computing environment, maybe not from a technical perspective, but more from a business management perspective. Uh, and uh, I was only supposed to be there for three weeks. I ended up being there for three and a half years, much to the chagrin of my friend. We never did go on that. Um, IB fell, I or whatever it was back then, we never did. I, I'm almost surprised that she did have to speak to me again <laughs> because she went off with her sisters. And I was working and I was already seeing something of a career path developing in front of me. So unfortunately, journalism was left behind. But what I realized my skill lay in was, you know, it, early days, but it's leadership, guidance, support uh, and organization. Um, and and that, that's really uh, where my career sort of uh, uh, took off. Uh, getting into management roles, uh, leaving BT and joining a, an actually an, an IT service provider, uh, um, and then eventually um, my uh, my road took me to to, to methods um, where I was given the opportunity to head up uh, the ServiceNow, which is one of our uh, service offerings uh, within the, within the company. So. Um, I would like to think that the skills that I felt I had and maybe some of the skills that I was demonstrating at quite a young age have actually stood me in good stead and I'm possibly where I where I should be. Um, it's likely to be my last role before I start considering hanging up my mouse uh, and, and, and considering a retirement, but I, I've had a a very fruitful, a very enjoyable career. Um, it has, has its, had its challenges. Uh, I have tried not to hang on to the, I think it's because of the colour of my skin, uh, but I have been aware that there have been those issues in the background, uh, but I have made sure that I am strong enough. Uh, I've had, I too have had the support of my parents. Uh, they're still well uh, and healthy down living in London in the house where, where I grew up. So they've not, they've not moved uh, and their support has strengthened me all through my working life and to this day. And that's not a twee story. That is that is true. So both of you have had, I mean, obviously, currently you have successful careers. Um, do, do, you, do you believe that that career path was quite smooth? Were there hurdles along the way? And were you held back, do you believe, at any stage because of your colour? I don't think I was held back in any way um, because of the colour of my skin. I think it took me a while to get to where I am in terms of like having confidence to progress to different um, roles. So when I left uni, it wasn't an immediate jump into a design career. I was actually like working in a Mexican restaurant for like eight months, still applying, still ended sending out CV, chasing what I was going after. And then my first role, again was in for four years but didn't see um, a lot of progression and I think I had more of a more of my parents mind frame because um, my dad he 
had got his first job, worked through it for out as like a technical engineer, and then that was it. He had one job, and that that was him. And I thought perhaps I'd have one job and progress throughout that job. But um, I was going to say I soon found four years later, I decided, you know what, I've got to be brave. I've got to start going out and making those bold steps and believing that I can do it. And that's how I've kind of got to where I am now. But no, I didn't feel held back at all in that sense. Cody, did you? Um, I'm possibly a bit older than uh, Jadine, so um, I felt that there there were some uh, maybe some instances where I felt no, I think something's not quite right here. <laughs> you know, uh, in those days we didn't have the mechanisms or the vehicles to to challenge certain decisions uh you you just accepted them um and and really you know it, it, the the feedback would come from my parents don't worry try hard keep working um you know it, the success will come to you you know and it it was a, a long hard slog you know i've been um, working for over 35 years so you know it's you know this hasn't come overnight um, but I think I have been quite fortunate uh, in my uh, working career as well uh, and I and I am willing to acknowledge that I have had some assistance from all sorts of people white and black alike uh, inspired by one of my very early uh, managers who was Guyanese lovely guy uh, he was the one that said, if you're meant to manage, you will manage. Yeah. Yeah. And th that was even, that was as I was going for my very first management role. Uh, and even, you know, as I applied for that role, which was uh, my very first management role, the manager that I had at the time had said, oh, it took me 25 years to get that role. You know, and straight away, there's a bit of a, you know, well, well how can you come? You've only been here for five minutes and you're going for management roles. And you almost have to ignore those voices. And listen to the voices of the inspiration, people who have succeeded through, you know, that's where my history comes into it. You know, the people that inspire me that have succeeded and have had far, far more challenges to face than somebody just saying, oh, I don't I don't think you're right for it. You know, um, uh, I, I have a, a wall at home. It is a decorative wall, but it has a picture of people that I can look at, black people, people of colour that I can look at and say, these people actually went through a hell of a lot more than you did. And they are successful figures of history that we can quite happily and quite proudly tell our children about. Yeah, absolutely. For, um, for me, for me, completely different. For you, got, you said you both went through the university path and I decided that that wasn't going to be for me. I uh, I left school actually with with eight O levels, so um, as much as I like school um, and I believed I progressed quite quite nice in school and uh, played a big part in most of the sports teams as well. Um, academics didn't really appeal to me, um, so I I decided that at the time I was working at. Uh, a menswear shop on a Saturday. I had a Saturday job. And I was always into fashion, loved fashion. Absolutely loved it. So I decided that I was going to try full time there. And I then progressed up to a supervisor. 
then moved on to assistant manager and managed uh, managed uh, the shop in Lewisham and then moved on to manage Oxford Street branch as well. So I became I, I became a, a manager of uh, review menswear. Um, and I was the only black, funny enough, the only black manager. Um, and they had 17 outlets. So I was quite proud of that, actually. But it wasn't my real passion, although I liked Although I liked fashion and it was great, my passion was always tennis, always. Um, but to get myself in a position where I was going to play professional tennis wasn't really going to happen. It was just a little bit too late for me. I started late. I started at the age of 12, uh, joined the, uh, a club, Beckenham Club, uh, was the only black person there. Uh, I got booted out quite quickly, not because I couldn't play tennis. I was one of the best, better ones there. But because I had the wrong trainers, um, uh, which was a little bit of a shame, um, and it wasn't because I, I didn't want to have the right trainers. I couldn't afford the right trainers, um, so I got booted out of that. I was inspired by people like Arthur Ashe, um, the first black male tennis player to win Wimbledon, and he's obviously won two other. Grand Slam titles, and I managed to move into tennis and, bec and become a very successful international tennis coach and worked with the number two player in Great Britain, Alex Bogdanovich, um, number three player in Great Britain, uh, Jamie Delgado, who now coaches Andy Murray. And I traveled the world as an international tennis coach and was quite successful for six years. It was the ne next best thing for me to do. Um, and it was a successful career and I enjoyed it. Um, then I moved away from that because I had children and I wanted to watch them grow up and I had to reinvent myself. Um, was always good at technology. So I decided I'd go into consultancy, um, which is why I'm at Methods. And I've been here for the last five years, head up the private sector team. Um, I focus primarily on, on e-commerce. Back to my fashion days. Um, so it's worked out quite nicely for me, um, in terms of hurdles along the way, got to be honest, I, I haven't experienced, okay. I haven't experienced to my knowledge, racism at all in my life, never experienced it. I don't know what, I, I don't know what it feels like, um, to be at the receiving end of someone, um, being racist. I don't know what that feels like. I have no idea. And I don't know whether it's because I've chosen not to see it um, and it's staring me in the face or if it's because I just don't want to believe it's there. I don't know. But I've, I've enjoyed uh, my life up to now knowing that I've hadn't, I haven't had to come across any challenges like that. Um, and I just always believe that everybody, regardless of their colour, um, has something good to offer. And I always see the the the, the best in people, always. Uh, and I like to to believe that's how I'm going to continue. Same same my life. I um, think interesting point you made about about racism, whether you choose not to see it or you know you cope with it in different ways, because I think it's it's quite a heavy thing because it's something that people can encounter daily 
and it can weigh you down. So in some ways, um, perhaps I've got because I've experienced it mainly like if I go on holiday, if, depending on where you go, if you go to more eastern places and different things like that, some good, some bad, some of it overtly racist, some of it just people being a bit curious, perhaps like, you know, you've got a different type of hair or um, different coloured skin and things like that. Um, but I don't want to give it centre stage, if that makes sense, because I believe it can change people because I do come across people and perhaps it's it's all they talk about and they're quite heavy and it's quite negative but I don't see a solution in that I'd, I'd much prefer to be more solution orientated of like what can we do how can we stop this what can we do moving forward because that's that's what we have to do we have to move forward to keep driving change because I think things if we look at black history on a massive timeline things have got better and I hope they will continue to get better. It's not perfect now, but what we're heading towards, we'll just keep getting better. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, considering what it was like only, only five years ago. Um, yeah, I, I I struggle with having to even look back uh, at what my parents had to go through when they first got here. Um, so there has been significant change. Um, however, there is a lot more change necessary, most definitely. But I think people, black people, who who are currently inspirational or inspired us in the past, uh, they play a big part in all of this. And, and we mustn't forget that. Um, I, I believe the way forward is for us to try and ins inspire uh, the next generation of people. Just how, as we've been, uh, you know, inspired by our, by our past generations, and I think that's the way to go. That's the way we can change things, in my opinion. Trudy, you talk about uh, the 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 picture on your wall um, showing all of the black people that have been inspirational. Of all of those, is there one person that stands out? Uh, it's a little bit obvious, uh, but I do have a picture of Nelson Mandela uh, when he was a very young lawyer uh, before his first arrest. I think it was uh, that pic picture on the on the wall, um, and. I mean, you know, his story is legend now. It's not just history, it's history, legend, everything uh, has inspired so many people who are fighting in the face of quite obvious uh, misjustice. You know, it's it's just amazing that he was locked up for speaking out and for trying to change um, the way that black people were being treated in South Africa and all the apartheid laws that were, were around it that was seen as good and proper. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, you know. Um, so he's, he's probably my greatest inspiration, but there are other figures from history, um, some of them equally well known, some of them not so. Uh, I think we all know Muhammad Ali, uh, Jesse Owens, sports people who came from very impoverished backgrounds and became sort of world champions in, in their, their area. Uh, area. Um, People from music and entertainment, Billie, Billie Holiday, again, her, her, her life and her history 
is quite inspirational, having to face all the uh, mistreatment she faced. Um, she had her own demons, um, but has become one of the world's most famous singers. Um, Hattie McDaniel, I always bring that to the table. A lot of people don't know Hattie McDaniel. She played Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Uh, she was the first Black Academy winner and couldn't even attend the theatre to collect her own Academy Award because of the race laws uh, at that time. Um, and, and others slightly more um, familiar to people maybe, Rosa Parks, uh, obviously part of the uh, civil rights uh, uh, and the, the bus boycotts, et cetera, et cetera, refused to give up her seat. Uh, and Nina Simone, maybe a little bit more um, uh, more recent, uh, the black activist and, and singer who wasn't afraid to speak her mind. Uh, all of these people had to face a hell of a lot. Uh, police arrest, incarceration, uh, their names being blackened, uh, licenses being revoked because of their views and beliefs. Uh, and they are still known as some amazing, talented black people. If we can't take inspiration from them, who the hell can we? Yeah, agreed. And, and Jardine, what, what about what about you? Um, the person who stands out in my mind is my grandma, because she was the person who made the move to come to the UK during the time of Windrush. And I always sometimes like to think like what that would feel like putting myself in her position to leave your family behind, go to a completely new country, overcome difficulties, getting accommodation, jobs, sometimes like the job she'd even apply for, she wouldn't get because of the adversity she faced. Like, I'm sure she went over to be a nurse, but I think she had to be a dressmaker initially for a while and she was just, so giving as a person like the little she had she'd share with everyone she's really generous her house is always full up of people and she managed to feed them all and I think I see that in my mum in my aunties because I only knew her for a short time but I can see like the legacy that she left and she's just so inspirational to me that's nice to hear actually uh for me uh sounds like a cliche but I I I struggle with having to think back of all the black people who've come before me that have been oppressed and, and had to put up with all of this i struggle with all of it and it, it honestly makes me so emotional to, to think that back then it was okay to have a slave and it was okay to kill a slave and not be punished for it i struggle with all of that I do. I just struggle with it, and to believe it was acceptable to do to do that. Governments, people in high positions, believed that that was okay. I look back at pictures, beautiful black children who they just look so beautiful, and I think about what it was like for them to, you know, for for them, what was the struggle like? In the picture, they look so lovely and like. You know they've not got care in the world but can you imagine what it was like growing up then i struggle with all of it so for me i think even this the ordinary black person out there who struggled um they've given me the chance to be in the position i'm in right now they all have 
I don't know if I would would have ever coped being in their position. I just don't know. Um, but I just I just hope we never have to go through any. I mean, not just black people. I I hope that no one has to go through that again. No one. Um, sad times for all of us. I'm glad things have changed right now. Um, guys, look, all I can say is that it, look, if there's anything else you'd like to discuss and talk about, um, but it's been so lovely talking to you. Um, so I'm getting emotional now, so I'm really sorry. Um, but for, for me, um, you certainly sort of made me aware, more aware of, of black history. Um, you can, I, get, I can get caught up in having this fantastic life uh, quite easily it can quite easily be done and not playing a, a, a bigger part in trying to move things in the right direction. And I think from this, I'm going to see what I can do uh, to help uh, pave the way um, to make life so much easier, not just for black people, for, for anyone in, in, in who, who's struggling. Absolutely. I think that's definitely something that I'm going to take forward just I really resonated with like your appreciation of where you are now and what people have done before to help yeah. you get to where you are now. Yeah. And and it is very emotional because it's so very close to us. Yeah. It's it is a part of our DNA. Yeah. And when we actually sit down and think about what's happened to us as a people, it is very emotional. That is normal. We are human beings. We are, but it, it was really nice celebrating, talking to you two both. Um, I know so much about more about you now, which is it's just great. Uh, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you guys um, in the office at some stage, hopefully. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.